So I have this really, really old tablet, and recently it's been like, I'm not going to start. So we might just go ahead and close in prayer. Oh, here it is. Uh, (laughs) I heard that, amen. (laughs) Thanks, Bob. I'd have been disappointed if you hadn't done that, honestly. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) All right. All right. I would... I make my living public speaking, but sometimes it's better than others. Here we go. I would encourage you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Genesis 25. There is a YouVersion Bible app for this message, an event, YouVersion Bible app event. Open a YouVersion Bible app and click the little menu in the corner, little hamburger menu, those three lines, and then click Events and find one near you that says Kerbinsville Alliance Church. You'll be able to follow along that way. And it'll serve you well because we're going to look at a lot of scripture. However, for those of you that have paper Bibles, I love you guys, and I'll give you those references in advance as well as we're moving forward. You'll be able to follow along that way, okay? Do you think we've bitten off more than we can chew? (laughs) That's a line that my friend Leon said to his son probably 25 years ago. The two of them took a trip to a farm machinery auction in Ohio from their farm in northern Pennsylvania because they needed a different tractor and they thought that's a good place to get one. They didn't have a truck and a trailer licensed to haul it, so they got the old farm dump truck and they managed to get it to pass inspection, and they put a license plate on it. And then they got the trailer that they hauled hay on, and they managed to get a license plate on that, and they welded together a nice hitch for the back of that dump truck, and off they went on a six-hour drive from their farm in their old farm dump truck all the way to Ohio to get a tractor. And when they got there, they found the tractor of their dreams, and it was at a great price. And they thought, we hit the jackpot. So they put the tractor up on the trailer, and as soon as they did, they realized the weight of that tractor has made this old dump truck kind of look like an old 1970s chopper motorcycle. You know what I mean? It was squatted in the back. And what made it really bad was it squatted down over the tongue of the trailer so that they could only take gentle turns. There'll be no sharp turns. Well, they thought about the ride home, and they thought, well, it's not like we're going to Benazette. There's not a lot of curves. We think we'll be all right. And so off they went, headed home, or so they thought. Got a little ways down the road, and one of them said, how come the sun is where it is in the sky? And the other one said, because we're going toward Indiana instead of Pennsylvania. (laughs) We got to, and then they both thought at the same time, figure out a way to turn this thing around. Because they were on a road kind of like 879 or 453. How are we going to do that? Well, about that time, there was an old abandoned Kmart or something in an abandoned parking lot. And they said, that's beautiful. We can make a big circle in that and we can head back home. And so sure enough, they went into that parking lot. It was old. It was abandoned. It was not being cared for. And when that heavy dual wheel on the driver's side of that truck went into that lot, Over the storm sewer, it busted right down through. So the truck is sitting on the frame with that wheel just turning. Those duels just turning right there. What are you going to do? So the two of them went back and they looked. They had a jack with them, but how do you do this? How do you move it? How do you? And they're laying underneath it together. And that is when Leon looked at his son, who was an engineering graduate, who came back to farm the farm because he had a passion to do that. He's laying under the truck next to his son. And he says to him, so buddy, do you think we've bitten off more than we can chew? And his son said, absolutely. 
But dad, do you know what you have to do when you bite off more than you chew, can chew? His dad said, uh, what? Bear down. Bear down with all your might. And sure enough, they got that thing back home and started farming with it. They're probably farming with it till this very day. Now, you might be thinking, what's that story have to do with anything? <laughs> doesn't have a lot to do with our passage today, but it has a lot to do with my mindset. Because as I was looking at the story of Jacob and Esau and realizing it's chapter 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35 of Genesis, I thought, I wonder if I've bitten off more than I can chew. But today, we're going to bear down. And I guarantee you'll be out of here by Thursday, okay? All right, all right. So your Bibles are open to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to be at verse 21 in just a minute. Um, We're going to walk through the story of Esau. We're going to talk about Jacob. We're going to see some applications for ourselves. The story of Jacob and Esau. I want to first, before we read, I want to kind of get you on a timeline, okay? Because I think it's important to understand where you are in history, in Bible history now. You remember we talked about a gentleman named Abraham who left Ur of the Chaldeans and God gave him the covenantal blessing. God gave him the promise. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. All nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That came to Abraham and there's the promise that the Messiah eventually will come from that Abrahamic line and bless all nations of the earth, okay? So that's Abraham. Abraham and his wife Sarah had one son, and his name was Isaac. He's the one that had the near-death experience. Remember that story? Isaac then, he gets married to a woman named Rebecca. But he doesn't just look outside the tent and say, that one. Here's what happens. His dad and mom say, we don't want our son marrying people from around here. So we're going to send home to get a bride for him. And sure enough, that's where Rebecca comes from. She's from home. And the servant goes and gets her, brings her back. So now you have Abraham and Sarah and their son Isaac and his wife Rebecca, and they have two boys, and those boys are today's boys, Jacob and Esau. Got that? And I'm guessing nine out of ten of you knew that because you're smart. So, okay. All right. So we're going to talk about Esau. We're going to look at 2521, and we're going to see this peculiar birth of Jacob and Esau. Verse one, Verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Okay, so somebody might ask the question. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. You got these babies, twin babies inside a woman. They're jostling one another? Come on, how do you know that's not just the baby's kicking? Because it says in the Bible, it's not just the baby's kicking. The Bible indicates, listen to this, the Bible indicates this is kind of a prophetic look, not a pathetic look, a prophetic, a prophetic look at the future. And this jostling that is happening isn't just any jostle, it is a prophetic jostling that is going to show or that does show what will happen, a conflict beyond the womb. And these babies aren't just seen as babies here. They're going to become, each of them, a nation, and they will jostle one another. They will struggle with one another. 
And when these babies are born, as you look at the account of their centuries of history together, you see that those two people groups did have great conflicts with one another. Okay, let's keep reading. Look at verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Now, there's a wordplay that you and I don't get here, and that wordplay is that the word Esau kind of reminds you of the word hairy in the Hebrew language, kind of. They're related. There's a kind of play there, like a pun. It would almost be like naming Esau Esau would almost be like if you gave birth to a child with a lot of hair. Like my nephew Kenny, when he was born, he didn't have a lot of hair, but he had a head of black hair that just shouldn't have been on an infant, you know? We're like, look at the hair on that child. He has more hair than grandpa has. You know, that, that's a lot of hair on his head. And, and so if you had a child that had hair all over him, you might, if you're clever, think to say, I'm going to call him H-A-R-R-Y because he is so H-A-I-R-Y. <laughs> Isn't that a good idea? That's what they were doing. It was kind of a pun. Even the name Esau is connected with the Hebrew word Edom, which refers to red. And he was red. So that'd be kind of like calling a redheaded child red. So that's kind of what's going on there. That's Esau, the firstborn. Let's keep reading. Verse 26. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Okay, so it's generally been understood historically that this name Jacob means supplanter or someone who overtakes another. And the idea of Jacob supplanting Esau is important because in culture, the firstborn, that would be Esau, was the one who was going to get all the good stuff. He's going to get the blessing. And the blessing is a really big deal. And so here at their birth, we see this second infant coming out after the firstborn, grabbing a hold of the heel. Does that have significance? Of course it does. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're like, wait a minute. Babies, newborn babies, just don't have the dexterity to actually grab a hold of something like, like his brother's heel. At least of all the intention, they wouldn't have the intention to do that. So what is this? It's prophetic. Just like... We had the prophetic jostling in the womb. Here we have the prophetic grip that he's grabbing a hold of his brother's heel. And what God is doing is God is saying that Jacob will go after Esau and he will take what Esau has. And history shows that to be the case. That's the birth of Jacob and Esau. The next thing I want to look at is as we continue the story, we're going to see that Esau sells his birthright. He sold his blessing in doing so. Now, you know what a blessing is, right? At the end of a service, a pastor might hold up his hands like this, you know. I, I don't, I kind of like to start doing the hold your hands like this thing, but I don't know why they do that, you know. But anyway, he does the blessing, right? And he say, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and grant thee peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you get that and you're like, yeah, I'm kind of glad he did that. that. That kind of felt good. But I'll tell you what, if that was your father and you lived in Isaac and Jacob and Esau's day, that blessing meant a ton. 
And he didn't do it every Sunday. The father did it one time when he came to the place in his life where he knew, I am going to die. He called in his oldest son and he gave him that blessing. And it meant everything, everything. But Esau, (laughs) well, let's keep reading. Verse 27. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, not unlike Pastor Steve. (laughs) Just checking if you're reading. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he, all, he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. And now, with a sense of intentionality, the scripture says, so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. It wasn't an accident. When someone says, hey, I want you to swear to that, you don't accidentally swear to it. He was very intentional about it. Verse 34 then says, Then Jacob gave Esau some of the bread and some of the lentil stew. He ate and drank and got up and left. Was that a big deal? (laughs) Evidently so. Because the narrator ends verse 34 with these words, So Esau despised his birthright. You understand what despised mean? He treated it with contempt. I don't even care about my birthright. I'm hungry. You got it? I'm hungry. I don't care about my birthright. Selling his birthright. That would have been a huge offense to his father. Even an offense to God. Because God gave the blessing to Abraham that went to Isaac, that eventually went to Jacob. Let's go to chapter 26, verse 34. Can you turn there? 26, 34. We're going to see that Esau marries wrong women. That's right, it's plural. It's not woman, it's women. And they're the wrong ones, not the ones he should have married. So we're looking at 2634. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Berai, the Hittite, and also Besamath, daughter of Elan, the Hittite. Now look at verse 35. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Huh, why? Why is that a problem? Because the people of that region were not followers of Yahweh, the Most High God. They were thoroughly pagan, and they did that which was detestable to God. So why would Esau pick a wife from among them? Maybe out of spite? Maybe because he didn't care about following God? The God of his forefathers? In any case, in any case, it was offensive and grievous. And now we see Esau loses everything. He loses his blessing anyway. You might say that Jacob stole it. Let me just talk to you about this a moment. If you want to, you can go to chapter 33. That's the next place that we'll read. But let me talk you through this event where Esau loses his blessing. Their father Isaac, who is old and blind, is ready to give his blessing to his son Esau, his firstborn. And in preparation, he instructs Esau 
go out and kill some fresh game for me and prepare it just the way I like it because you're my favorite son and you prepare it like nobody else. Now remember, Esau is a hunter. Isaac loves him. But Rebecca loves Jacob more and she hears that this is going down and she knows this is the blessing. He's going to give him the blessing. So she instructs Jacob on how to steal the blessing from Esau. She cooks some goats, prepares them so that it's kind of like the wild game that Esau makes. She thinks to herself, if you go in there, he might recognize your voice and he might want to touch you. So she has him put some animal fur on his arms so that if he touches, oh, wow, it is. It's, it's my son Esau. And he says, she says, go in and get your father's blessing. And so Jacob does just that. And he receives the blessing. Now, we can kind of shake our heads at all this scheming, right? Because it's kind of like, how do you, how do, you do that? <laughs> but remember, Esau already showed contempt for his birthright. He sold it for a bowl of stew and some bread. Hmm. How do you think that Esau reacted when he came home and found out what his brother had done? Because yeah, you and I would probably say, I take that back. And then we give the blessing to the right kid. But it didn't work that way in this culture. So how, did, how do you think Esau reacted? Well, we don't have to guess. Because the scripture tells us that he's cut to the quick. You hear him say a line, it just, it pulls at your heart. Father, is there nothing left for me? The regret that's there, the desire that's there. He's brokenhearted and he's furious. Isn't he called Jacob for the right reason? That kid, that brother of mine. And he is ready to kill Jacob. He's ready to take him out. So Jacob does what any good Jacob would do. He runs away, <laughs> all right? After all, Esau is the hunter. He probably has knives. He probably has like probably a Ruger 357. He's got a lot of good weaponry. And so, you know, <laughs> Jacob runs away. And he, he goes and marries Leah and Rachel. And he prospers for the next 20 years. He prospers miraculously and greatly. But eventually, hmm, eventually in Genesis 33, Jacob and Esau meet again. This is where you would cue the music from ELO, Electric Light Orchestra. There's gonna be a showdown. No fans, huh? Hey, I'm just doing anything to keep you paying attention. That's what I'm doing. And there's gonna be a showdown because Jacob is leaving Laban and he's coming along and he gets a report that Esau is coming toward him. What are you gonna do? Well, look what he does in verse one of chapter 33. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So Jacob divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children out front. Leah and her children next. Rachel and Joseph in the rear. And then he himself went ahead and bowed down on the ground seven times as he approached his brother. You ever see a couple dogs that don't know each other acquaint themselves with one another? It's kind of a gross thing they do. We won't talk about that. But the other thing that you often see is one of the dogs will immediately lay down and will just kind of lay on its back and put its arm. Have you seen dogs do that? You know what it's doing. 
The dog that is laying down is saying to the other dog, look, I know you could kill me. If you want to do it, do it now. I have no qualms about not being the top dog. You can be the top dog. And almost always when that happens, that top dog is like, okay, we're cool now. That's what Jacob is doing, kind of. Jacob is coming toward his brother. His brother is coming toward him. Jacob has his family and his, his herds as well. His brother has 400 guys, 400 soldiers, one place it says. And so as he is walking toward his brother, he literally bows down in the sand. And then he walks, you know, maybe another 100 yards toward him. And he bows down a second time. He does it seven times. He wants that brother to know, I am not putting up a fight. You can be the top dog. But chapter 33, verse four shows us he really didn't need to do that. It's one of my favorite, favorite verses in the Bible. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. The conflict between the men, Jacob and Esau, is gone. And pretty much the last we hear of Esau is in chapter 35. You can turn there to verse 28 and 29, just two verses. And it's the passage where Jacob and Esau bury Isaac. It says in chapter 5, verse 28, Isaac lived 180 years. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years. His sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. I like to think that Jacob and Esau died at peace with one another, even though their offspring would fight for centuries afterward. That's the story. Maybe we didn't beat off more than we can chew. That's the story. Feels pretty good. Well, let's take a little deeper look and try to see, is there a problem that Esau has? And I would say, yeah, there is. Esau is a man of the world. I'm not just saying he was a worldly guy who liked sin. I'm saying that the important thing to Esau was this. The world around him was what important to him. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read four verses from there in a moment. It's Jesus when he's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says something here that some people when they hear it, they're like, that just makes sense. And there's other people when they hear it, they're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I get that. Listen to it. Jesus is speaking. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus isn't talking about physical eyes. He's talking about spiritual eyes. And I would suggest to you that the spiritual eyes of Esau were not functioning well. They were unhealthy at best. They were downright broken at worst, blind. His father Isaac, he couldn't see physically, but Esau, even worse, couldn't see spiritually. And you can observe his short-sightedness in his selling of his own birthright. Do you remember as we read that in Genesis 25, 32, do you remember Esau's words? He says, look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? Do you hear the 
The short-sightedness, the contempt there for the birthright, the dismissing of it as being unimportant. Do you see, do you see Esau's heart? I've served in ministry leadership with a couple Esau's. <laughs> Esau's tend to evaluate people in a ministry based on what they can do for the ministry. Okay, what can that guy do for? What can that woman, what can she do here? They, they tend to, Esau's tend to serve people that they know can serve them. And they make ministry decisions based on what is profitable for the ministry. You understand that a ministry, a church, does not exist to make money. We exist to serve people with the resources God entrusts to us. But Esau's really have trouble with that because the heart of Esau is pragmatic and it's very nuts and bolts and it's a question of what's profitable and what's in it for me. And that's a sign of spiritual blindness. Esau had spiritual eyes. They were simply unhealthy. Second, Esau had a tendency in his heart to be rash and make rash choices. By that, I mean he made decisions without thinking about them, let alone praying about them. When he realized that Jacob had stolen his blessing, the English Standard Version says, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Let me say that again. The days of mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning for my father approaching. And then I will kill my brother Jacob. Do you get what he's saying? My dad's old. He's about ready to kick the bucket. And when he does, the first thing I'm going to do is kill Jacob. (laughs) Do you hear the rash statement there? His initial statement is vengeful, hate-filled, reckless, impulsive, even murderous. He had a tendency to be rash. That's an understatement. And Esau simply had a disinterest in spiritual matters, or at least spiritual outcomes. Remember, he married the wrong women, right? Do you remember that? Think about that for a moment. Esau's dad was Isaac, and Isaac's dad was Abraham. And when Abraham and Sarah wanted to get a wife for Isaac, Sarah said, I don't want my son to marry any of these local women because what they do is detestable. And Abraham said, you're right. Let's send and get another wife for him. And they brought back Rebecca. And now just a generation later, Esau's like, yeah, I don't mind the detestable ones. Give me them because I'm not interested in spiritual matters. You could say that he didn't prioritize spiritual things much. He had bigger game to hunt and bigger fish to fry than those kind of issues. In contrast, Jacob seems to look to God. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 32, 24. 32, 24. Jacob, he had his flaws, but like David, despite his failings, his heart was for God. I wonder, do you see, do you see that in yourself? Just before he comes face to face with Esau, there's this crazy passage of scripture where Jacob wrestles with God, <laughs> and he doesn't let go. Your Bible's open to thirty-two twenty-four. Listen as we read about six verses there. So Jacob was left alone. Now here's the setting. It's the night before he's going to meet Esau and his army of 400 men. He has no army. And so he's kind of set everybody up where he wants them in camp, and he's gone off to be alone. It says in verse 24, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. 
so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob replied, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Now look at the next five words. Then he blessed him there. Okay, that's the strangest wrestling match you'll ever read about, right? Who's that angel? (laughs) Was it God? Jacob seems to think it was God. Hardly makes sense. How does Jacob, how can God not overpower him? But then God's like, let me just touch your hip here. Okay, you're good. Game over, right? Jacob seems to think it was God because in verse 30, Jacob called the place Penael, saying it is because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. Here's what I want you to hear. Jacob would not let go of God when he found him. You see, Jacob desired a blessing from God and he fought to get it. In the latter part of verse 26, that's where it says, the man said to him, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Okay, now this is really important. Hear this, oh Americans, (laughs) which we all are. Jacob was not looking for a material blessing. Jacob wasn't looking for money. He had it. Incredibly prosperous. Jacob was not looking for livestock. He had them. He was not looking for children. He had a dozen of them with him. He wasn't even looking for perfect health. He's going to walk away from this with a limp that he will take to the grave. Jacob was looking for a different kind of blessing, a better kind of blessing from God, and he received it. Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob desired blessing from God. And Jacob showed a sense of reverence and respect for God. There is a great line (laughs) about Jacob near the end of his life. He's an old man at the end of his life. (laughs) And he's seen a lot of heartache. Oh, has he seen heartache. And he has seen great things happen. He's seen what he would think of as the dead coming back to life in Joseph. And he has seen even miracles happen. And at the end of his life, the scripture says in Genesis 47, 13, in the latter part, remember his name's not Jacob anymore, it's Israel. And it says, Israel worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. I love that verse. I love that verse. And that, maybe that was the blessing he said, I won't let go of you until you bless me. I think that was probably the blessing. To go out as an old man, leaning on the top of your staff, worshiping God. That's what I want. I really, really want that. Probably got to get me a staff first. How about it? (laughs) What about you? What about you? Do you see yourself in the Jacob's part of the story? Not his deceit, but his hunger for God. I mean, maybe just ask yourself, am I willing 
to work out life's struggles with God. Because a lot of people work out life struggles by griping about them. And a lot of people work out life struggles by complaining. A lot of people work out life struggles with, with a bottle or with some other kind of addiction. Are you willing to work out life struggles with God? Do you see the soul conflict that must be going on in Jacob at this intersection where he's about to meet his brother who the last time he saw him had murder in his eyes? I mean, in my imagination, I can hear Jacob saying as he wrestles with God, why? Why, God, have you brought me here to Esau who is standing there with 400 men ready to meet me? What are you thinking? God, did my father's blessing mean nothing? Are are you even paying attention? Am I alone in this battle? Have you brought me here so I can watch my wife and my children slaughtered before my very eyes? Why are you doing this? Why are you letting this happen? Do you ever ask those kind of questions? (laughs) Of course you do. And when you ask them, it feels like you're wrestling with God deep within your soul. Hear the sentence, it is okay to wrestle with God about such things. It is okay to wrestle with God about such things. He's a big God. (laughs) He can handle it. And when you're done, when you're exhausted in the struggle, he will bless you. He won't be the same afterward. You might just walk with a limp afterward, but you'll receive a blessing. You might even feel like he gave you a new name, not Israel, that one's already taken, but a new sense of your own identity and of what life is all about and your place in it. If you hang in there, you will come away from that wrestling a different person a better person. People who are hungry for God, for the real God and to know him closely, pursue him relentlessly and will not let him go. Are you willing to wrestle with God? Do you desire the blessing that comes with closeness to God or the blessing of closeness to God? You know, The blessing, we said before, is not the things of this world. They're passing away. It's about having God as your own. It is about holding on to him and loving him. It is about him holding on to you and you know that he loves you. It is about trusting him in the midst of difficulty. And it is having a sense in the deep part of your soul of his favor and his presence and his love throughout your life until the day that you lean on your staff and worship? Are you truly seeking the blessing of that kind of closeness with God? You might need to reframe your expectations and rewrite your definitions and reconstruct your own value system of what's really important. Because if you say to yourself, I got bigger game to hunt and bigger fish to fry than that, No. Are you truly seeking the blessing of closeness to God? 
I don't want anything else in my life to be more important than that. And do you have a profound sense of reverence and respect for God? Or in your life, do you find yourself wrestling with and about the wrong things? Do you find yourself focusing on what's in it for you or what seems to be pragmatic and what seems to be functional? And Are you just looking for the wrong kind of blessing? Or have you come to realize this truth, that there is a God above you whose very existence requires your attention and your reverence? Are you showing respect, a sense of reverence for God? And that's what I want. I want to be someone who is willing to work out my life struggles with God and not look for an answer somewhere else. I want to find it in him. I want to be the kind of person who holds on to him, desiring not stuff, <laughs> but desiring closeness with him. And I want to, I want to die leaning on my staff with a reverence of worship, respect for God. Do you want that? Man, here's what I'm going to do. It's almost an altar call, but you can stay where you are. (laughs) But listen, I'm going to pray that God gives me that. And if you want that as well, then you can stand and in the silence of your heart, pray with me. So if you want what Jacob had, and you'd like to pray together about that, please stand. Let's pray. Father, we're really thankful for how your word speaks to us. Something we've just seen today is that with you, we can't bite off more than we can chew. Because when we bear down on what you have for us, we are nourished. All of us who are standing here desire, we desire you above all else. And so we would, as we stand before you and as we stand together here, we indicate our willing, our willingness to deal with the hard issues of living in a broken world, to deal with them with you. And not to say, I just don't have time for that, but to honestly interact with you and speak with you regarding them. Because we want to come out of that interaction, we're not looking for a limp, God. But we want to come out of that interaction with a new sense of our own identity and what life is all about and our place in it. So give us that so that as we hang in there, we will be transformed into the image of Jesus. We desire the blessing of closeness with you. We desire that we might hold on to you and trust you to hold on to us, that we would have a sense of your favor and your presence in our life, throughout our life, until the day we lean on our staff in worship. Reframe our expectations. Flush the flawed value system from, the heart, from our life. And give us your value system, your perspective. Help us to see the beauty 
and blessing of closeness with you, God. We reverence you. We want to make life decisions not on what is convenient or what is pragmatic or what is in it for us, but rather what will honor you and draw us closer to you. Show us how to do that by the power of your spirit who dwells within those of us who have received your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.